now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, hop along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California, Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your radio. Dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Thank you, Mark Larson, and welcome Southern California to another Sunday edition of Rod and Reel Radio. I am your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Stan and Wendy have the night off tonight, and as for myself, well, I've traveled up to the San Fernando Valley to help my father celebrate his 95th birthday. So in lieu of that, what we've done is we've gone through the archives and I have picked out for you two of, I think, the better shows we've aired in the past year. Jerry McGinnis will be with us and he'll be talking about Bassmasters and his new book. Also, Mike Cordell, son of Cotton Cordell, will be with us and he's going to talk about all the lures his dad improved on and innovated in his career. So we ask you to sit back, relax, get your favorite beverage, and get ready for two hours of stories on Ron Real Radio. Okay, Ben, you can take it away. Southern California, welcome back to the second hour of Rod Real Radio. I'm your host, Hopalong John Cassidy. With me is the National Sales Manager for Iserline and my co-host, Wendy Toshihara. And it is time for our next guest. And this is a gentleman I've been looking forward to talking to again for a long, long time. He has been likened to being the Teddy Roosevelt of fishing here in the United States. If I tried to give you all the titles that probably go in front of this uh, gentleman's name, uh, it'd take up the whole interview. So why don't we have him uh, talk for himself and tell us a little bit about what's happening. He's a TV show host. He's the owner of Bassmaster. And now he's a newly published author, Mr. Jerry McKinnis. Jerry, welcome to the show, and happy birthday, sir. Thank you very much. I'm uh, I'm still stunned by that Teddy Roosevelt uh, comment. Wow! <laughs> but that uh, that was quite a, that was quite an intro. I'm in, I'm embarrassed. I hope I can live up to all that. Well, you know, live up to all of that. I've got to tell you, just you know, uh, for the past day or so, I've been trying to get some background information on things to ask you, especially about your new book uh, that is. Uh, uh, come out, bass fishing, uh, brown dogs, and uh, curveballs. I tried to get on your site, and I could not get through the birthday wishes that you have received probably in the last 48 oh hours. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, it, it's incredible, Jerry. It was, that was unbelievable. Did you see? 
I started kind of at the top, having no idea how many there were there. And I was going to answer them all. I figured maybe I had 20. And uh, I thought that'll, that'll, uh, that'll be nice. I got to say uh, thank you to all these people. Well, it just kept going and kept going. And so I went down to the bottom. I, I, at that time, and that was four or five hours ago, I had about 500 of them. So I did not answer them all. Oh, that's great. Just tell them to send money, okay? Or buy the book, even. that That's even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish I'd so let many books. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, Jerry, I've got one of your books on order. Unfortunately, it hasn't uh, gotten to me yet, but I am looking forward to it because when when it comes to the history of bass fishing and, and freshwater fishing here in the United States, uh, your name is synonymous as it Forrest Wood or Cotton Cordell or Roland Martin or Bill Dance or, or any of these movers and shakers in the industry. And I, I have so many questions I want to ask you, but... You know, let's let's first start off with a lot of people originally came across you from television. You were actually credited as being the fella that really helped launch ESPN because at the time it was a a fledgling network. They were going to go, well, we're going to have sports on 24 hours a day, and boy, isn't this going to be wonderful. And then all of a sudden someone probably scratched their head and it goes, where are we going to get material and stuff? And you came along with your show. Can you kind of take it away from there? Well, you know that uh, uh, I I have to I, I don't know I have to back out on that one that says that I've uh, uh, was uh, uh, responsible for getting ESPN started. I'm I am really really proud that I was there on the ground floor and got in on a, on a lot of it. But uh, uh, I have to tell you when they start first well first of all when I found them i was uh, my show was syndicated and of course i didn't i didn't know what cable was there just there just was no such thing hardly and i was up in the finger lakes uh uh in new york and i came in one night and this television has got like six or seven channels on it i'm thinking holy cow i never you know at home we had had two or three uh well it was cable and I started watching this show that was, I think, the New England Sports Cable Network. And it was all about uh, New England sports. And they had some rugby on there and some stuff like that, you know. And and I was interested because it was just all sports. And uh, every night I'd come in and watch that. And I thought, man, my show's just as good as this stuff. I'm going to go to these people and try to get on the air. This was in the late 70s now. Yeah. And... So I did. I, I found out where they were at. They were in Bristol, Connecticut, and I went up there, and they were, oh, my gosh, it was just, I, I bet there wasn't 25 people working for them. And, and so I told them what I wanted to do, and, and we made arrangements to do it. You know, we're going to start next year. And um, before I ever got on the air, they changed from the New England Sports Cable Network to ESPN. <clears throat> And ESPN stood for, and still stands for, the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, where their their entertainment was going to be movies. Uh, they were going to run movies half the time and sports half the time. <laughs> well, something happened, and they couldn't get all the 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 
the contracts and the commitments and everything for the movies, and they ended up with, oh my gosh, we're stuck with um, uh, putting sports on the air for 24 hours a day. I wonder, I wonder if people will go for that. <laughs> and and obviously, it was a, you know, it was it became ESPN. What more can I say? And I was really, really lucky to be on the ground floor there, there with my show, and uh, uh, away we went, you know. Yeah, well, Jerry, when, when you went to them, did they say, hey, Jerry, we'd like to have you just bring all your sponsors aboard, and we're going to just charge you this to, to, to do the show? Or did they have a combination of your sponsors? Or, or you know, what, what greased the wheel, really, to get the, uh, you know, the well, fishing no, pole on really, ESPN? what yeah, what really got it started was I made a time buy. And a time buy is when you go in and you, you got a, uh, an hour or a half hour that, that you want to place your show and you buy it. I mean, that, that's the way it, that's the way it is today too. But way back then, that rule was in place, but at ESPN, no one had ever done it before. So I was the first one to go in there. And say, I want to buy my way in here. I want to buy a time buy, and then, then I'll have all the, I'll have the uh, uh, commercial time, and my existing sponsors will be placed in those spots. And um, now, now you'll have to, if you can grasp this, this is hard to imagine. They had about five million subscribers at the time. Right now they have a, they have over a hundred million on ESPN. They have over a hundred million on ESPN two. They're right at that with uh, with uh, news. With, you know, all their stations are a hundred million or thereabouts. But at that at that time that we were doing this, they only had five million subscribers. That was nothing. Uh, it was very difficult for me to go to my sponsors. And say, hey, we're moving over to this new outfit called Cable. We're going to ESPN and we're going to deliver this audience, which was much smaller than what I had in the first place. Well, obviously, uh, obviously it grew very quickly. But to answer your question, <clears throat> no, they had no sponsors for me. I brought my own sponsors and kind of, <clears throat> kind of bought my way, uh, kind of bought my way all the way along. Wow. Well, you know, you know, now it's fashionable with great shows like Inside Sports Fishing and a lot of the shows we see where people going around the world and traveling and going to exotic places, but you were the you were kind of the guy that was the groundbreaker on that too, were you not? Well, you mean going around the world to different just, places? Just different places no, to fish, I, yeah. Yeah. Actually I wasn't. I went I went the completely opposite way of that. Now, I'm not here to say I didn't go to some great places. You know, I went to Russia and went to South America, all over Canada. I did a lot of that, but I did not, I didn't, uh, my foundation wasn't that way. My foundation was a flat-bottom boat in a little creek or a pond fishing for bluegill or over in some river carp fishing or you know that that's the kind of stuff most people get to do, and I tried to make something out, well, and that's why I, I I wasn't trying to make something out of it. That's really what I did. I was just a regular old guy who loved to fish on the weekend and uh, for 
smallmouth on the creek or for crappie out on a, a small lake. And then every now and then I would cut loose and go with so-and-so and we'd go uh, uh, bone fishing over in the Bahamas, something like that. Uh, but that wasn't, uh, but that wasn't where I went most of the time. Well, you know, I, I like one of the stories, and you've told me uh, the story, and I, I don't know whether it's in the book book or not, but when uh, you were in Arkansas and uh, you decided that, hey, I need a guide to help me fish out in Arkansas, and you got a hold of a couple of people, and and can you take the story from there, sir? Well, yeah. I uh, You know, I came home from playing professional baseball, and I started working as a carpenter apprentice, and I was still young. I, I was really lucky. I started playing baseball when I was extremely young. I was 17 years old. <clears throat> and by, by 20, 21, uh, I realized I wasn't going to make it and, uh, and, and got released. And so I'm back and I'm back home. And I'm, I'm kind of brokenhearted and pretty depressed because uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to be a baseball player. I love to fish. Man, I love to fish uh, forever. And so I, I read about this, the White River, and I wanted to go down there and, um, and catch one in big trout at that time. This was about the, you, golly, we're talking about the mid to late 50s, I guess. And um, so I go down there. I, I make arrangements. I call a boat dock out of the blue, really. Uh, and I go down there, and there's a, uh, I, I got a, a guide hired. I'm going to take a float trip. So, you know, I'm so excited about catching this big trout tomorrow, you know. And <clears throat> I didn't realize that my whole world was going to change tomorrow, that I was going to get directed in such a way that, uh, um, you know, it'd be, be monumental. Uh, I had no idea that was coming. But I drove down the little boat dock that was right below Bullshoe's Dam. I got out of my car. I walked down the ramp, and it was, it was uh, fall or even it maybe even uh, wintertime, so there wasn't a lot of people around. <clears throat> I don't think there was anybody else on that boat dock except this skinny kid who was down at the end of the ramp. And when I got down there, he asked me if I was Jerry. And I said, yep. Uh, and he said, well, I'm going to be your guide today. My name is Forrest Wood. <laughs> and we floated the river. I, I virtually... Uh, I was from Missouri, but I virtually never went back to. I had to go back there, go to work, and and um, uh, get what few belongings I have. Moved to Arkansas, but boy, I, I was an Arker. I was a. By the time I got to the end of that float trip, I lived in Arkansas. Um, I told Forrest I'd love to guide. I'd love to learn that fishing. He said he'd help me, and um, you know we've been brothers ever since that time you know what what was it about that part of the country i mean you had cotton cordell there you had bill norman you had lou childries you had gene larue i mean they were all concentrated in that area and they were all coming up with these new ways to to catch fish was it something that was in the water i don't guess there was something in the water there was just lots of water 
Okay. Uh, hey, Jerry, we got, about car, we got to take pardon? a break right now. Can you stay with um, us? I'm sir? sorry. I'm, talk, I'm talking too much, aren't I? No, no, no. No, no, that's all right. But you know how it is. You don't want to be talking when the guys that are paying the bill are talking. <laughs> no. yep, Can you stay right. with us for another segment? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm... I'm here for the duration. All right. Hey, this is Rod and Real Radio with Stan Vandenberg, Wendy Toshar. I'm your host. Hop along, John Cassidy, our special guest tonight, Jerry McGinnis. And we're talking about a bunch of things and more topics to come with Jerry. But stay tuned. we got to take a break right now. We'll be right back after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. 2015 and 16, Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters, the PTA design has a new PTXA frame, lighter, stronger, bone crushing drag, Quantum Fishing. We are performance tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619-466-8355. This segment of Ron Real Radio is brought to you by the makers of the original balloon fishing clip system, Balloon Fisher King. Now you can fish the precise bait depth desired with these easy-to-use clips and 100% biodegradable natural latex balloons. 
All you do is clip, inflate, bait, and fish. Look for Balloon Fisher King clips and balloons at your local tackle dealers or go to balloonfisherking.com for further information. It's a big deal, you know. I've always wanted to be on Rod and Reel Radio Line. <laughs> <laughs> I won the Bassmaster Classic. I did a, a McDonald's commercial, but now I know I've made it. I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> that is just absolutely awesome. And good day again, Southern California. Welcome to Rod and Reel Radio. I, if you missed any of tonight's show, just go to rodandreelradio.com. Go up to the toolbar, hit the archive page, and you'll find not only this show, but past shows on there. And we appreciate you all listening tonight. Wendy Toshahara is with me tonight. Stan is out on a cultural tour, and I'm your host, Hopalong John. And we've got with us special guest Jerry McGinnis. Jerry, again, Happy birthday, everyone, from Rod and Reel Radio, and I'm getting emails from uh, individuals wishing you a happy birthday. I hope you're having a grand celebration. Well, I really am. I'm, uh, I'm at my home up in North Arkansas, and <clears throat> it's just me and my dog up here. And the, it's kind of special because 15 years ago today, I went and picked Archie, which my little minister dachshund, I went and picked him up uh, from the place where I had purchased him. And so it's uh, not only is it my birthday, it's old Archie's birthday, too. So we're having a big time. No, oh, man, that, that sounds great. Now, is that, uh, is that one or, or two dogs? Because didn't you have uh, uh, two no, dogs? Yeah, that's the second one. See, the first one's name was Norman, and I had him uh, for 16 years, I guess. And, of course, he was a... Um, superstar on my show, <laughs> and then uh, after that, Archie was on, uh, uh, and and so I've had two two little miniature dachshunds that has taken up about thirty one, thirty two of my years so far. You know, Jerry, I'm I'm getting uh, uh, people slamming me to to talk to you a little bit about Bassmaster, and I want to get into that, but I also want to get into your book. Uh, do you have any type of a background in writing, and then? Tell us a little bit about uh, why you got in or, or how you got into the book here that you have that has just been released, Bass Fishing, Brown Dogs, and Curveballs. Okay. That, uh, all those questions are tough for me to answer. I am not a book author. I don't know how to do that. I started because I wanted something for my kids and the people close around me to have um, because I had thought that I had an un- a very unusual life, and I wanted everybody to know about it and know a lot of the history, of not only bass fishing, but all kinds of fishing and television shows and one thing and another. And I guess that was the real motivation. And so two, two years ago, I guess, uh, I started writing it, and I write, uh, people just can't hardly believe this. I don't type, I don't get on a computer, I don't do a whole lot of that. I just wrote this whole thing, and they they tell me there's over 100,000 words in it. I just write it with a pencil out on a piece of ledger paper, you know, a, a little tablet, and, and I just take off. And when I started, I honestly... I, I didn't have a plan. I just started from when where where it all started for me back in the 
in the about 1940, I guess, uh, and just started writing, and and it kind of all falls in place. There's a uh, <clears throat> along the way throughout the story, I just kind of uh, throughout the book, I just kind of stop and maybe tell a story about something that Bill Dance and I did, or. Tom Mann or someone like that, maybe only be a page long or two pages long, and uh, most of the time it's it's funnier than heck. And <laughs> um, again, I've just I I, I I I don't know I don't know how I wrote it. I swear I don't know how I wrote it. But i if if I do say so myself, I I I thought it was a really good book. And I'm getting just rave reviews from people, and they all tell me things like one guy yesterday said it wasn't wasn't like he said it wasn't like reading somebody's book. It was like having a conversation. It was like I was having a conversation with you, and um, and I guess that's the way it is. I'm I'm not um, you know I'm not experienced at this, but. Uh, but I think it's a good story. It, it sounds like it's great. And, you know, I think all bass fishermen are also super interested in the history of the sport, you know, where we came from. And not only that, these products that we're using today, uh, how they came about, you know, it just didn't happen by accident. You, you know, we talked about, you know, Tom Mann and Bill Norman and, uh, and all these fellas, they 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 were just everyday kind of guys. A lot of them were really super cut-ups and characters in their own right, yet they got it together and, and they uh, started off some of these major lure companies that we see today. Hey, that's, I'm, I'm glad you say that. They abs- all, most all the ones I know, anyway, were absolutely just regular old guys. And it's like myself. Uh, Tom Mann's uh, I, I was really close to Tom. He, the, the man lure company was in his basement. That's how he started. Yeah. Bill Norman, the same way over in Fort Smith. Forrest, Forrest Wood, good night. He, he, we built the first Ranger boat in the back of a filling station, for gosh sake. And, <laughs> and you know, it, I, I could just go on. But, uh, although he wasn't from Arkansas, just above Bull Shoals Lake, and incidentally, Bull Shoals Lake must have had a hundred guides on it that were incredible bass fishermen. And and just above that was Table Rock, and and that's where Johnny Morris guided. And so you know we we and he was he wasn't he was a guide he was a fishing guide. And so I don't know I can't explain how all this has happened. I can't explain. All I can do is tell you that it has happened, and and it's it's been kind of a wonderful run, been a wonderful run for me. And I and I do have to tell you that in the book, I guess the thing that I most zero in on are about ten things that happened to me from the time I was fifteen to now that led me to where right where I'm at today. Um, there's nothing I did was an accident. Everything, I swear, everything was just laid out. Every time I was had my back to the wall and I needed some help, a 
popped a furniture state uh, uh, popped a furniture salesman <laughs> who wanted to go <laughs> with me and fish with me and help me out. His name was Bill Dance. And <laughs> you know, I, I already told you that Forest Wood just fell out of the sky for me, and uh, and and it's been that way for me ever since. I'm very blessed and. And I and I also and and th- I point this out in the book that they haven't. There's been some tough times too, man. I mean, some super tough times, and um, I told about them too. So well, you know, uh, also, also you've had a chance to to meet some of the the big names in the sports industry that weren't necessarily fishermen. You know, one of the one of our San Diego boys here, Ted Williams, and boy, you go to our. Uh, uh, Sports Hall of Fame here in San Diego, and it is loaded with Ted Williams memorabilia. In fact, I, I've been lucky enough to hold the bat that he used the last uh, 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 game of the season where he uh, uh, withheld his 400, uh, I think it was a 402 batting average, and just really right. something. And then Bobby Knight, you, you know, Bobby Knight was also a, a, a fishing friend of yours, and I think you've got. Uh, uh, a story about Bobby Knight and how competitive he was because you were fishing with somebody else. <laughs> I've got more one story about, and we, we'd have to do a whole series on that. <laughs> Actually, Coach and I was fishing last week up in the Boundary Waters in Minnesota. I fished with him a lot, and we are, I'm very, you know, I'm just, we we have a we have a great relationship and have a lot of fun. And he's nothing like what you think he is. He he's a wonderful guy to be out with. And uh, but but the the way I met him was taking another basketball coach fishing, and then that and then that show appeared on the air. And Coach Knight called me on Monday morning and said, "What?" Um, he said he basically said, "Hey, this is Bobby Knight, and I'm a better fisherman than that. That guy doesn't fish. He doesn't know how to fish. You've never, and I've been watching your show forever. You've never invited me on it. And, <laughs> 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 and that's that's how we were introduced. I swear it was, and 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 then so so we used to." Uh, have this little thing going between us about who could pick some better trips for for the television show, and he'd say, "Okay, you know, I got this uh, guy up in uh, Montana that's uh, got this really great trout stream. Let's go. Let's try that." So, and then I'd have one that I that he and I went on, and <clears throat> then we'd argue about who had the best trip. Well, he called me up one day, and he said. Uh, Okay, I got a good idea for the next trip. Um, I, I I got this guy that wants to go fishing with you, and if I if I can arrange that, then that's going to be my entry this year on the on the trip. <clears throat> and I said, you know, that that sounded kind of strange to me, you know. I said, well, who is this guy? He said, well, it's Ted Williams. I said, get out of here. <laughs> it was Ted Williams. And uh, and so he ended up going. We, uh, we went to Russia on that trip. We went over there. Two, so I spent two weeks with Ted Williams and Bobby Knight. And it is, you know, it, it, it ranks in the top two or three most incredible trips that I was ever on for far obvious reasons. So uh, Co- Coach Knight was 
enthralled with Ted Williams about like I was, and and what a wonderful man he was. He he was just great. He was he was so much fun on that trip, and and Anna, and as you can imagine, one heck of a fisherman. Um, so that's my Ted Williams story, and and I'm really proud of the of the, uh, being able to do that. All right, uh, you know, uh, also you're probably one of the uh, uh, the few people I've interviewed that have ever been on the David Letterman show. And I know David would always look for, you know, just sort of like people that were out there that were completely different, that did things <laughs> that were different than what he did. And you actually took David Letterman out fishing. And I've got to ask you, was the person that you saw before the cameras started rolling was the same person we saw when the cameras were rolling? Yeah, absolutely. You betcha. Hey, and the the first time I was invited to be on his show, I'll try to make this as short as I can. Uh, he the, the the bit was that that they were going to have me fish the East River, and and the big bit was the East River is so bad that even a really good fisherman can't catch anything. Right. So that was going to be the, and so. <clears throat> Uh, so I haven't met Letterman yet or nothing. I just go out and I fish on the East River, and I caught the fire out of them. And uh, <laughs> caught a bunch of big stripers, and we had, we had to turn them loose. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, but I, I caught a, a ton of big bluefish and brought like three or four of them back in a big ice chest. So so I kind of messed up their their uh, uh, the, the script. Their bit, and yeah. Said, so they changed it. They said, "Okay, now now we're going to put this uh, ice chest on up on his uh, uh, desk, and then you accidentally spill and fish in his lap." And I said, "Holy cow! Um, <laughs> there, there's no way I would do so. I never met this man. I'm excited about this whole thing. That would be uh, we we actually argued about that. I I didn't. I told him I would not do that. And he, so they just kind of let it go and they were they were upset with me <laughs> but I, that would have been a disaster bluefish <laughs> are the nastiest old things oh they would have just been terrible well you saw the interview that we did uh we just had a great time oh, and not, he invited yeah, not only that well you did take the bluefish and you well, plopped it rather unceremoniously yeah, at least desk. on his desk <laughs> and the look on his face I, I guess no one had clued him in on what what the bit was. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wendy, you have a question for Jerry. No, I don't have a question for Jerry. I just want to say thank you very much. I, you know, I'm an avid angler. I'm out here in Southern California, and I've been fishing ever since I was little. But I'm really into fishing. I'm, you know, I fight for our fishing rights and everything that you know. All the stories that you've told us. They're great stories, and everything has to do with fishing, for your love of fishing, for your passion for fishing, and that's why things turned out the way it did. And so thank you very much for, you know, all that you've done for our sport and, and everyone else. Well, I've, I've, I really appreciate that. And, 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 and folks, like I said a little earlier, I, I'm afraid I'm talking too much. You, I, I'm not getting to hear enough from you guys, but, uh, I, I really do appreciate, uh, what you've just said there. And, and I, I, 
I don't feel, I really, I don't feel like I'm anybody special. I just got in the right places and things were, <clears throat> were presented and paths were taken and I was able to help and, and I'm, I'm really proud to do that. But, I, but I always have to say that, man, there was a bunch of people around me helping as well. So just. Hey, we are like, speaking with, uh, Jerry McGinnis and Jerry, I, I, you know, I know it's getting late in your part of the world, but uh, can you stay with us for one more segment? Oh, sure. All right. uh, Hey, our special guest tonight, Jerry McGinnis. I know we've talked to him about some of the the past, had a lot of fun, but I know I have a lot of questions here, people asking about Bassmaster and a few other things. So stay tuned. More Jerry McGinnis on Rod and Reel Radio. This is Hop Along John on AM540. We'll be right back after these messages. It's time for the spectacular 70th annual Fred Hall Show, March 2nd to the 6th at the Long Beach Convention Center. Presented by Progressive. This is the world's largest fishing show, California's largest boat show, and a world-class international travel and hunting show. Celebrating the passion of fishing, boating, hunting, and outdoor recreation for 70 years. Nearly 1,000 booths, hundreds of boats, over 400 seminars presented by Cousins Tackle. A giant kayak and stand-up paddleboard section, California's largest marine electronics display. The Mammoth Lux Kids Fish Free Trap Pond, Savage Gears Bass Tank, The Accurate Fishing Saltwater Tank, Hobie Kayak Test Drives, Ram Trucks Ultimate Air Dogs, Costa Sporting Chef Cafe, Archery, Scuba, Fly Fishing, Casting, and so much more. Kids Free, Kids Fish Free, Active Military Free. Join us and share in the 70-year legacy of the Fred Hall Show as we celebrate the passion March 2nd through the 6th at the Long Beach Convention Center. Presented by Progressive. Details at Anglers are Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics, McCoy line, Spro products, Gamakatsu hooks, G. Loomis fishing rods, Shimano products, Ovid reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal Tackle Store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their product. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong circle hooks, tuna hooks, ringed hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. My Angler H2O. I will scent my lure with pride. And hope my boss doesn't notice the tan. I will outmaneuver drought-exposed sunken boats and outlast the hard-fighting largemouth bass. I will save water at home for better fishing out here and always 
Always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. This portion of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can quickly and easily release fish suffering from barotrauma back to the depths they were caught. Look or ask for the Rockley's at your local fishing tackle dealer. Hey, and welcome back to Rod and Reel Radio. We want to thank Sea Adventure 2 and 1-800-BASSBOAT for giving up some of the time on the commercial so we can spend more time with Jerry McGinnis. Jerry, again, happy birthday, and thank you very much for being with us tonight. Uh, my pleasure. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make my answers shorter this next go-around where you can ask me more questions. <laughs> well, I, I guess the question I, I have to ask you, you know, Television personality, uh, uh, things are going well for you on ESPN. What the heck were you thinking when all of a sudden this organization called Bassmaster came along and decided I wanted a part of that? <laughs> you know what? I actually looked at some people once during that week or two we were in the middle of that uh, negotiation, and I said, what was I thinking? <laughs> but uh, it, it was kind of an unusual thing, uh, uh, ESPN came to me and my partner, Don Logan, and and asked us to buy it. And, and if you guys will agree to do that, we will certainly help make all the arrangements and, and you know, make it possible for you to do this. Uh, quite honestly, ESPN was too big for Bass. They couldn't take care of it like it. You know, it's a... It's a <clears throat> Uh, it, it needs a lot of uh, tender, loving care, and they weren't able to give that, and and so they realized that. But they wanted the they wanted the uh, the organization and the sport and all that continues to grow, and and they wanted to be they wanted to air the the content. They wanted to be a part of it, but they just couldn't handle it anymore. So so that's how Don Logan and I became the owners of Bass. Well, I got to take you. You have you have taken it to great heights, and it, it seems like bass has expanded. I know there are other circuits out there, but when you talk about the the names in bass fishing today, you know, just like NASCAR racers, they're they're all fishing BASS, whether it be in the opens or even the elite series. And uh, and I need to thank you, and I want to give special thanks to that. To Helen White because we had the opportunity to go to Lake Havasu when the Elite Swing made a, a swing out here to the west. You uh-huh. did um, the California Delta, then you went to Lake Havasu, and you people allowed me just unprecedented uh, access to the pros, being able to talk to them, uh, ask them questions, and in turn, the pros were very, very gracious in giving up their time and and answering questions that I, I just got way more information than I needed. Yeah. The, the question they're, they're that everyone's just... asking, uh, after making this trip out to the west and after Lake Havasu, is there a chance that maybe we might be <laughs> no. seeing some open tournaments? <laughs> I knew I knew that was uh, How did, did I know that was coming? <laughs> I only get that about uh, uh, 20 times a week. Um not at the moment. I'm, I'll be right honest, really honest with you. Not at this this moment, because you know our 
our opens, even our regular opens are, you know, we've got them pretty much planned for sure. uh, another year out. And, um, uh, and, and, you know, the logistics and the finances and, and just everything is not right to make, to make it a, uh, to make it to the West Coast. Now, if you want to ask me, is it still on, in our plans? Do, do we think about it a lot? Do we have, yes, it never goes away. Uh, we, someday we will have a, Good series out on the West Coast with our opens, and and that's one reason we came out there. I guess that's one of the biggest reasons we brought the elites out there was to let everybody know that 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 has not gone off of our our mind, and and that someday someday it's going to be a little different because you folks deserve it. Uh, it there's there's no doubt about it. The the elite series, the Bassmaster Elite Series, is the is the number one circuit uh, on the earth, I imagine. And it's truly the big leagues, and, and the anglers are the big league anglers. And and, uh, and many of them come from right there where you're at. And so it's not fair that we do it where we do. But <clears throat> so far, and of course we've only been there four years now, going into our fifth year now, so <clears throat> we haven't hardly been there any at all, but uh, it's definitely our plans to start taking care of the the West Coast anglers. Well, you know, it, it, since I I really had the opportunity to talk to many many of the pros uh, at Lake Havasu, the pros were just totally impressed on on the fishery that was uh, there at the California Delta. They maybe would have liked to have been a little closer to that fishery when they started in the morning, but they couldn't, uh, the fishing over there. And then I got to tell you, a lot of them that didn't make the cut of the top 50 after the first two days, before they went to Havasu, they went over and they fished Clear Lake because they yeah. knew Clear Lake was one heck of a fishery. And they yep. spent a day, yep. you know, a day or two there and then went down to Lake Havasu. And they were overly impressed with just how fantastic that fishery at Lake Havasu was and the diversity of the life and how good good the fishing was. And I think I didn't find someone that anyone that didn't want to come back. All they said is, is keep the price of your gasoline down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of a toughie out there. But, uh, yeah, oh, no, and we're going we're gonna to be back. You know, they even <clears throat> they even talk about our, our uh, I sh- shouldn't say they, we, we even talk about having a classic out there and what a wonderful thing that could be. And I'll bet you that's going to happen someday. Well, you know, the first classic was out here, so there isn't any reason why we can't at least have That's right. You know, that's uh, right. one of them. You know, Jerry, the, the other thing, and I, you know, boy, I don't know if this is a sore subject or, or whatever it is, including fem- some of the female pros into the uh, – uh, the BASS program. I know they're fishing the opens. Uh, uh, you know, it's maybe harder for them to be, uh, you know, as competitive as some of the guys because a lot of them, you know, are also, they've got a second job working in their home too. It's hard to get sponsors and everything else like that. But uh, are we going to be seeing maybe more fishermen, uh, lady fishermen in the future 
fishing in not only the elites, but maybe in Bassmaster Classics in the future? Well, well I have to tell you, our, the, the one thing that I'm kind of proud about our elites is these aren't guys that just can't come in and, and for an entry fee, you're an, inter, you're an elite angler. And you have to qualify to be an elite. And the only way to qualify is to do well in the opens. And so it's sitting right there for anybody to do. And and there's, you know, I have to ask you, would it be fair for us to just let somebody come in and yet these other guys have to go through this whole open system and qualify and just almost make it and then not make it and and have to work on it again the next year. That's how that's how our elite guys have got that, that's how the elite system is worked. And I don't well, I don't see that change in any. Now I know And that I think Rick, that's man, great. Yeah. But, I, um, I think that's great I, because we, we you know, would love to have uh, some girls in the, in the elite system. Would love to. You know, the year before last, we had a girl that was qualifying out of the Centrals, I remember. <clears throat> I, I guess it was two years ago. And, doggone, all she had to do was have a halfway decent last event, and she was in. And she really bombed and, and you know, got so close and didn't make it. And... And and you know look at this um, look at this little kid from uh, Australia. I shouldn't say a little, little kid. Yeah. Uh, he's he's uh, probably thirty years old, and he he went through I think five years of fishing opens and got close. He comes out, he gets his all of his documents in place and gets it all fixed where he can come over here for six months or whatever you know, and he and he does nothing but fight the opens that started to make the elites and and but he finally made it and he's in our elite system right now so we're not we're not discriminating against anybody but it's you know we just kind of try to have to stick by our rules but i have to say again i can hardly wait till we get a couple gals in there it's a it's a qualification thing obviously and not only that then to get to the Bassmaster classic there's you have to run this gambit again of qualifications to get to the classic because you only allow 50, 52 spots. That, that's right, and and qualifying for that is really tough, and and you, you have to know that these guys. That's all. These that's what these guys live for is making the classic. You know, they really work hard to get in the elites, and then from that point on, it's making the classic you, you know do you have uh, any type of a vision jerry of where bas is, is going in in the next few years and and some of the things that it's it's going to be doing well you know we when when we first started our our events uh, the the uh, the on-site event, the weigh-ins and the expo and everything, on a four-day period <clears throat> was drawing from five to ten thousand people, and I just wanted that. I wanted to beat that so bad, and and now we draw. Um, 
Now, sometimes we have a twenty or twenty-five thousand, but it's mostly it's it's always at least that much, and we have as many as forty forty-five thousand people uh, come to our, to our event. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, that's been a great improvement for us. Uh, and the more of that we get, well, we need a few more events. We probably need two to three more events for these guys to, you know, really have a lot of fishing out there. And, and the one thing that we are doing on this, on our end, on the production side, um, that is a tremendous hit and is going to get bigger and better in the future, and that is us uh, broadcasting our, our anglers live. Oh, yeah. Um, we, we, and, and it's on the Internet. But now we started out where we were covering six or eight anglers the last two days. Now we're covering a few more than that, and we're covering them for three days. And, and you can go to your computer and sit there and watch Kevin Van Dam fish all day long if you want. And there are a lot of people doing it. Quite honestly, there are more people watching it than they're watching on television. And, and that's and, incredible, too, with that live feed that you have. I know we feed it in here to the shop. And uh-huh. the great staff that you have with Dave Mercer and, and Mark Zona and all those other people make it entertaining, informative, and uh, just really, uh, you know, state-of-the-art on, on how to get it done. And that and that's just bigger and, and better. And and I think that's... That's something that's really pushing us right now, and it's going to it's going to be a great builder of our sport. I think. Well, Jerry, uh, your new book gets out: uh, bass fishing, uh, brown dogs, and curveballs. I know we just scratched the surface on it, and the, the stories that are in it. If people want to get a hold of this book, how's the best way to do it? Well, go to your <clears throat> computer. And go to, and I'm, I'm, I'm a great one to be guiding people through the computer, for goodness sake. I can just barely turn mine on. But I do know if you'll go there and just, uh, uh, uh go to, to jerrysbook.com, man, that's pretty easy to remember. And then it'll pull you right up on the page that will tell you all about the book. It will tell you, uh, uh, how to order it? Uh, it'll, it, 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 there's actually two or three sample chapters in there, and all the information you need will be right there. All right, Jerry McGinnis, author, bass fisherman, and all-round good guy. I can't tell you how much I appreciate taking time off on your birthday, no less, and a Sunday <laughs> night to be with us. Just God bless you, and thank you very much for being with us this evening, Jerry. Okay, thank you very much. I, I appreciate you guys. You're, you're the ones that are they're doing all the work. I really do appreciate it, and I would love to come on again sometime. All right. Thanks again, Jerry, and, and I hope to be seeing you in the not-too-distant future. Appreciate you being with us. 
You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect. Finally, a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main at El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast, serving the angling community since 1935. H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. My Angler H2O. I will never use that fakey fluorescent pink bait or drag my hula popper through the mud. I will outmaneuver drought-exposed stumps, rocks, and submerged station wagons and outsmart the ravenous river otter. I will save water by taking shorter showers for higher lakes, and I will always, always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. Quantum Fishing's got something for everybody. From the smallest angler to the oldest veteran, we can get you out there fishing with the greatest reels on the market today. From the all-new for 2016 Icon PT to the Tour Mag to the brand-new redesigned Smoke Reel, we've got something for everyone in your family. Have some fun. Take a kid fishing. They're the future of our sport. Quantum, we are performance-tuned. You can get your Quantum products at anglersarsenal.com or anglersarsenal in the Mesa at 619-466-8355. Hi, I'm Bart Hall, and I'm back to tell you about the Fred Hall Show, March 2nd to the 6th at the Long Beach Convention Center. Who could have known that when my father started his first show in Los Angeles in 1946, that it would turn into the world's largest and most exciting sport fishing show, one of the nation's most prominent boat shows, and a world-class international travel and hunting show? We are proud of the fact that when you attend a Fred Hall show, we will entertain you all day with nearly a thousand booths, over 400 seminars, hundreds of boats, and dozens of family fun activities. And when it's all over, you want to come back the next day to see what you missed. We invite you to come join us and share in the 70-year legacy of the Fred Hall shows as we celebrate the passion of fishing, boating, hunting, and the pure joy of outdoor recreation. Kids free, kids fish free, active military free. Join the Coastal Conservation Association of California and get in free. Check us out at fredhall.com. The Fred Hall Show, March 2nd to the 6th at the Long Beach Convention Center, presented by Progressive.
Hi, this is BSS record holder Dean Rojas. El Cajon Ford helped me when I got started in my career, and let them help you with a new F-Series Ford truck. And remember, nobody beats El Cajon Ford. And welcome back to Rod Real Radio. Stan Vandenberg is with me tonight. So is Wendy Toshihara, and we want to welcome you to the second hour of Rod and Real Radio. Hey, and, uh, you know, uh, boy, I don't, it, it's hard to start this, but let's, let's do it the best I can. Through the years, we've used a lot of fishing lures that have been associated with a lot of great lure manufacturers that are out there. There's names out there like Norman and Lewis and Mans and Hedden and LaRue, just to name a few of them. But when it comes to the, the forefront, the name that always comes up is Cotton Cordell or the Cordell Lures. And there was really a guy by the name of Cordell, and that was Cotton Cordell. He made lures for a long time. He was an innovator in the lure-making industry, passed away a year ago, and I've wanted to talk a little bit about Cotton, and I felt there's no better way to do that than to invite his son, who is also a designer and lure manufacturer in his own right, from Hot Springs, Arkansas, Mike Cordell. Mike, welcome to Rod and Real Radio. Well, thank you, John. I'm glad to be here. Well, we we are happy to have you. You know, I... I've known the Cordell family for a long time, but the beginnings of, of the lure manufacturing with, with the Cordell family goes back, way back. Can, can you give us a little bit of a history about those, those early days when, when uh, Cotton started uh, coming up with the idea of, of doing some of the lures that we know today? Well, actually, uh, in the last year of his high school, his dad bought a, a boat landing down below uh, Carpenter Dam on Lake Catherine. And about that time, the Korean War fired up, and he had to go off to war. Uh, uh, ended up, after that was all over, came back thinking that the boat landing was going to be the thing that he was going to do. And they had built a couple of new lakes while he was gone, Lake Warsaw and Lake Hamilton. So uh, he bought a uh, bait shop uptown, and he had uh, – he was – he had always wanted to, uh, you know, stay in the fishing industry somehow because he loved it so much. But uh, he had, uh, uh, he was buying, during World War II, they had survival kits. And in those survival kits with those life rafts, there was a jig. It was called a Bill Upperman jig. And you couldn't find them hardly anywhere, but when he did, he bought them. And they usually cost a dollar, and that was pretty expensive for a jig back in all the early 50s. So he started making jigs out of plaster and Paris mold, and he had a, a deer tail were hard to come by. So he had a bird dog there, and he'd clip a little hair off that bird dog, and he'd tie it on that jig head, and he'd put them out in his shop to sell the fishermen, and they kind of caught on. Wow. You know, uh I, I hear that uh, in the beginning uh, he was, uh, you know, trying to wrap these jigs with deer hair and everything else like that. But he, he found those materials to be scarce and very expensive. But he came out with another source. And, and Mike, what was that source that he found uh, of hair to, to wrap his uh, jigs? Well, he had he had a bird dog there that he he had clipped that hair off that bird dog. It was an English setter. And he had the baldest English setter in town because the jigs got popular. 
<laughs> he would have to uh, uh, keep clipping that hair. Finally, he found a source up in Pennsylvania for deer hair, and that bird dog grew a little more hair after that. He yeah. looked a lot better, I bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it worked somewhat better. Yeah. Deer hair is hollow, as you know, and it helps make the jig float better. You know, a, a, a method of fishing I know in that part of the world is fishing brush tops and everything like that. And that, that regular jig would get uh, hung on up. So he came out with another innovation that uh, where he could use a, fi- uh, a jig and, and lose less of them. He, he, what he did was he'd take a light, large diaper pen and he would open it up and he'd heat up the point and take a pair of needle those pliers and bend it around and he would put a spinner blade on it and then on the other end he'd cut where you put the pin in and he would mold a, a that same jig head with that diaper pin in it and a hook and he would tie hair on that and he called it a daddy pin which is basically the first spinner blade ever made you know, and then later on that got to be known, I think, as the Wachita spinner. Is that? Yeah. Did he ever go into the production of wire baits or anything like that? Uh, 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 yeah, or, he uh, did build. He he built quite a few spinner baits in his lifetime. Um, during during the fifties, early fifties, when they were pouring the jigs and making the spinner baits, a salesman came along and said, "If you'll put those on a card, I can sell them." in other places, and that was basically how uh, uh, Cordell Tackle began, and it began in the basement of our house. Okay. On uh, Street. And then, and then from uh, there in the 1954 or something like that, I think there was another uh, really famous blade bait that really got uh, the business going for him. Yeah, he, he molded a piece of lead on a piece of brass, and it gave it a really, and put two hooks on it, and it gave it a really tight wobble, and he called it a gateway. And below the dam where my grandfather had his landing, he took him out and showed him how it worked. They caught a lot of white bass and black bass on it pretty quick one morning. And my grandfather said, well, you don't really have to let this one out yet, do you? But he did, and it became forerunner for all the blade baits that are out on the market now wow you know you know here we are we're talking about uh, jigs uh, he also came up with the banana head jig that was also one of the first weedless type of jigs that came out but it seems like what we know uh, cordell the name cordell with is more for plastic baits uh, tell us about the evolution uh, of the uh, the plastic baits mike well after the gay blade, uh, he went to one of the first tackle shows in Chicago. At the, it was called the AFTMA, the Atlas Show, American Fishing Tackle Trade Manufacturers Association. Uh, and he met a guy that, that dealt in, in molding plastic parts. And his name was Joe Lando, and he had some... He had some uh, ideas about a, a minotype bait, so he, he whittled it out of a piece of wood, and he asked Joe if he could make it out of plastic, and Joe came out with a bowl for him, <clears throat> and he called it a red fin. And he sold 
several thousand red fins. Uh, yeah. Quite a few. By then, the company was up and running on spinnerbaits and jigs and, and uh, the gay blades, and then the, the red fin came out. And then he got to thinking about another lure and sitting in the woods beer hunting with a piece of pine bark. He whittled out a lure he called the hot spot. And the hot spot was a, a lipless crankbait, basically. Uh, and there was a, a, a he bolted a he bolted it and he put a piece of lead in the front, which gave it a good you know tight action wiggle. And then all oh, back in the seventies, uh, early seventies, we got a phone call from a, a dealer down in uh, Mississippi. And he said, I've got a bunch of these hot spots down here, and they don't rattle. Pop said, well, they're not supposed to rattle. He said, well, if I sell them, they do. He said, I'll be down there this evening. We jumped in the car. He jumped in the car and went down there, and he watched the Everybody came into the store, would take one out of the box and shake it. It didn't rattle. It beat it on the shelf. And they'd <laughs> break that lead loose of the glue inside, and they'd make it rattle. And they claimed it caught a lot more fish, so he came home, made the lead just slightly smaller, and we quit gluing it so hard that the, the, the lead weight wouldn't rattle, and the rattling spot came to be. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, so actually kind of an accident type of thing. That that's... It was a total accident. <laughs> now, you know. caught on. When it comes to lures, probably the, the most famous lure that uh, we're familiar with is a lure that, that was called the Big O. But that wasn't necessarily Cotton's, you know, you know, pr- idea. But he certainly did take it and run. Tell us about the Big O. Well, there was a lure called the Big O. It was made by Fred Young in Tennessee. Uh, it was called the Big O because he had an older brother named Otis that was quite a bit. <laughs> Pretty good-sized man. And Otis was winning all the local tournaments up there. Well, by this time, the BASS fishing tournament circuit had started up pretty good. And all the pros were finding these lures, and they were actually renting them for like $100 a day. If you had a big O, you could rent it to a fisherman to go fish with, and you it cost you $100 a day. And if you lost it, it cost you two. Ooh. So uh, he called back, and about that time, there was a one of the professional pitch, fishermen back then was Bobby Murray. Yeah, Bobby Murray worked for Dad, and he called me and Bobby Murray and another guy named Joe Wilson, who was our sales manager at the time, into the office, and he said, "Okay, you three have a job today." You have to find me who makes the big O. And we narrowed it down to Fred Young, and he went up and talked to Fred and talked him into uh, letting him make it out of plastic. And he told Fred he would pay him a royalty on the first, on all the big O's that we made. And the first year, we built a million four hundred thousand. And that was all we could produce that year. You know, well, it, I had them. <laughs> well, not only that, well, you're talking about the early 1970s, and you know, and 
And, you know, to the fishermen today, you talk about something happened in the 1970s that there's just one lure. You know, we talk about all the hot lures that are out there at this time, but that, you know, just one lure that was made by cotton, there was, there was a million, three hundred million, four hundred thousand of them sold in just one year. In one year. And that was more money than Fred had ever made in his life. He, now, he worked... Uh, he worked in an electrical power plant up there, and and, uh, you know, and then he whittled on the side. And uh, after that, he kind of retired started whittling more lures. He told Pop, he said, I'll quit whittling them. And Dad said, no, I, I want you to keep on whittling them, but I want you to start numbering them. So if you have one of those numbered ones, you probably have a very expensive lure in your collection. <laughs> wow. You know, I, the last time I visited there, I think your dad showed me, he had saved a lot of those lures, and there were designs and shapes and things that uh, I don't think uh, have ever seen the market. It's just, you, you, you just couldn't make them all that quick. No, no, we couldn't. Uh, his, you know, his basic idea was make a new lure every year and, and keep your competition coming after you or trying to copy you and not slow down. So we made a big O one year, and then the next year we made one smaller. And then we made one with a deep-diving bill on it. And we made a small one with a deep-diving bill on it. I mean, we just kept the big O going for several years there, and uh, everybody else in the industry just tried to keep up. Well, he had a design patent on the big O and we found out that there were 77 people copying it and the, wow. he, 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 he filed suit against one guy and it took him a year and $40,000 to make him stop and he thought you know this isn't worth it so he just let it go and kept on going well, I just decided to stay ahead of the competition and, and come up with innovative products. Yep. Hey, Mike, we've got to take a break right now. Is there any way we can get you to stay on for a little bit longer? Because we've just scratched the surface on some of the stuff that you and your dad did, and I, I'd certainly like to get it out to our audience here. Sure, I'll be glad to hang on. All right. We're speaking to Lure Designer and a Consultant, Mike Cordell, and we're talking about some of the products and the legacy that Cotton Cordell left uh, for us. Stan, Wendy, and I, we got to take a break right now. We'll be back after these messages. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. 
H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Hey, everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fishing Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. Captain Chris Randall from Chief Sports Fishing. And Captain Chris, tell us about what's happening on the Chief now that the tuna season is upon us. It's here and it's time to go on the Chief. For those that are not familiar with the vessel, she's an 85 by 24 deluxe sport fisher that offers a wide variety of open party trips ranging from one to five days in length. We're also available for private group charters. The Chief's onboard anemones include a fully remodeled galley with comfortable seating for 25, twin flat screen TVs with hundreds of movies, two roomy indoor heads with fresh hot water showers, stateroom and open berthing areas, an impressively large deck area, 200 scoop bait capacity, we have twin six ton spray brine fish holds to keep your catch fresh, and our professional courteous crew will go the extra mile to make your trip a memorable one. To view our schedule, log on to H&M Landing at www.hmlanding.com or feel free to give them a call at 619-222-1144. You can also follow us on Facebook. Facebook and at our webpage at chiefsportfishing.com. Hi, my name is Dennis Green, and I always love to talk about fishing. When I want the real information, I go to Rod and Real Radio. Those guys are who I thought they were. Hey, welcome back to Rod Real Radio. And boy, do we have exciting news for you. Rod Real Radio is now available as a podcast that you can subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting application. Just search for Rod Real Radio and subscribe. Get notifications for every new episode as they become available or download past shows. You can also go to rodreelradio.com, hit the archive page, and go to the date and the guest that you want to listen to, and you can listen to it right on Rod and Real Radio. Well, Stan, Wendy, and I, we are happy to bring the, the Southern California uh, audience uh, Mike Cordell, lure designer, uh, uh, consultant, but also son of the famous lure manufacturer, Cotton Cordell. Cotton Cordell passed away just a few days uh, uh, plus a year ago. And uh, we thought we'd take some time just to remember some of the things that 
that Mike and his dad uh, have done and have contributed to the fishing industry. And, Mike, again, we want to thank you for being on the show with us. Well, I'm glad to be here, John. You know, uh, you know, we think of cotton when it comes to lures, but, you know, cotton did so many other things. And there was a, um, a story I like to tell, but I'd like you to tell it if you can, that cotton was making gears for Abu Garcia, for uh, their ambassadors at the time. And he was also good friends with Lou Childries. And that collaboration created a really a, a, a famous product that is still on the market today. Do you, you think you know the uh, story I'm talking about? I, I might can tell you a little bit about it. Lou Childry and Dad became, well, Lou was Dad's very best friend in the tackle industry. Uh, unfortunately, Lou got killed in an airplane crash. Uh, he had his own uh, float plane that he used to fly out of uh, Foley, Alabama and go fishing down in the Gulf on. But anyway, Lou and Dad got to be very good friends, and they went to China together. Or not China, Japan. Japan was the big thing back then. And uh, Dad was making those gears and wanted to find somebody over there that could make them. We were having them built in the United States. He was trying to look for them over there. And we went to a, a company, or he went to a company uh, called Shimano that was making bicycle gears to see if they could build gears for the uh, uh, ambassador to make it from a to a 5.1 gear ratio. And uh, Lou introduced him to some people at Shimano that made the bicycle gears, and they started building the gears for Pop. Well, at the same time, Lou started talking to Shimano about building reels, and they ended up, at one time, Lou was the largest importer of reels and rods from uh, Japan that there was. The interesting story about Lou was right after the war, right after World War II, he bought a one-way ticket to Japan because he had heard there was a lot of bamboo over there. And he was the probably the largest person in Alabama that made uh, bamboo rods. So Blue bought a one-way ticket to Japan and found a man that that knew uh, where all the bamboo was and took him out and showed him how to trim the bamboo and dip it in the lacquer to make bamboo fishing rods with. (laughs) And talked the Japanese into loading a million dollars worth of bamboo rods on a boat and buying him a ticket back to the United States. And Lou came back and sold all those rods and paid the Japanese for them. And this was right after the war when nobody had anything. And they literally almost thought Lou was a god over there. (laughs) Um, But that was Lou was a really, really great friend, great guy in the industry. I, I think, the, you know, what was interesting is uh, Cotton and Lou Childers went over to Japan and and Lou uh, had the uh, the first low-profile fishing reel. Uh, and obviously he wanted to collaborate with Cotton to make the uh, the gears. Uh, they, they 
could get everything together and still have a little problem getting the gears. And they went to Shimano, got a deal with Shimano. Shimano started making the the reels for him. And if I'm not mistaken, some of the first reels that were made on the thumb bar that was on the BB1N and stuff like that actually had uh, Shimano that was cut into the thumb bar, did they not? I believe they did. I believe you're correct on that. Yeah, but if and, it, if it wasn't for Pop, uh, Cotton Pop. and uh, Lou, there may not be Shimano reels on the market today. Might not have been because at the time before Lou died, Shimano, Lou, Lou could keep them from selling reels and rods in the United States under the Shimano name. And after Lou died, then they started, you know, importing into the country under their own name. But uh, Lou had a lot of power with the guys in Japan. But Dad, Dad helped or, or carved out the first uh, pistol grip handle that Lou started using on the Lou speed stick. Oh, and, wow. That was one of my first rods, and I've got to tell you, when I when I broke my last speed stick, because it caught the large for me, it caught the largest fish I had ever caught here in the uh, the continental United States. Uh, I cried because you just couldn't get them after that. Man, that that was such a super rod. Well, you know, I, yeah, well, I have to tell you here, my 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 dad's side of the family is from Hot Springs, Arkansas. And there were 12 kids in that family. And, and when we'd go back there to, to fish, it was in between uh, Hamilton and Wachita, so that's where we fished. And my, I guess my Uncle Marvin was a, a friend of, of Cordell's and uh, and uh, Cotton's, and, and I guess some of my cousins were too. Maybe he didn't tell the end there, because there was a whole load of them back there. But every time we went back, I mean, that the, the gay blade and those deer hair jigs and uh, all of that was what, they kind of introduced us to as kids when I was growing up, and this is what we used to fish here, even the Big O. But uh, we had those, and we fished them out here in the tournaments when I was a kid, too, or when we were younger. But that was just nothing but, you know, that you, these are the, the baits you use. That Cordell spot was like the secret bait from the people that didn't know that the rattles made a difference. Because until then, that was the only one that was out. So really had an influence on, especially in my life, your dad really really did have an influence here. And it was kind of fun to watch you looking back and actually listening to the, the story here. Because I ended up being on the, it wasn't the Lou's speed school team. It was the Ryobi team after Lou sold the Ryobi. I was on the first, the first guys on their team out here in the West. Um, and the Lou's speed stick was the, the premier rod in the bass fishing market. I mean, there was nothing better out there. So uh, you had an influence on me out here. Well, that's great. I'm, you know, I, that, everywhere I go, there's people that do him and, and love to tell some of the stories. That he, he, some of the stories even he told, I think I've heard them all at least a thousand times. And, <laughs> Everywhere I'd go to a sports show, well, I met your dad, and, and he did this, and he did that. And it's just, you know, it's a, been a wonderful experience growing up like that. Uh, well, well, Mike, uh, besides, uh, you know, making the lures, uh, Cotton was instrumental in the uh, the careers of a lot of the fishermen out there. And, and, and I'm just going to kind of play a name game real quick, and, 
and let's talk a little bit about him. And I guess the, the first guy I, I want to talk about is uh, 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 Gary Loomis. Uh, Gary Loomis actually started with Cotton, did he not? Uh, yes, pretty much. Gary was uh, working for an, uh, another rod company up in Washington and left that and formed his own rod company. He was he was actually working for Lamaglass, and he left Lamaglass and started making his own rod company. Well, when he left Lamaglass, he took several partners with him, and <coughs> as some partners do, they didn't do Gary right, and Gary ended up with basically nothing. But in the meantime, he and Dad had become very good friends. Well, Gary came down to Arkansas, and uh, that was about the time we were fixing to sell out to Pradco, and, and uh, Gary needed, he asked, Dad asked Gary what he needed, and he said, I need some equipment and a little bit of cash. I, I need to, you know, I'm going to have to start over. So we had an end mill and a lathe and two or three other pieces of equipment that we were not using or wasn't going to use anymore, so... I helped him load it into a U-Haul, and uh, Pop gave him a little bit of money, and he, he said, we'll be partners. And Dad said, no, you don't need any more partners at all. You just The only thing I want from you is to be able to buy rods or rod blanks at a good price for as long as you build them. And Gary lived up to that till the, till the day Dad died, I guess. Well, you know, Gary's been a, a really good family friend over throughout the years. You know, we and we think of Cotton uh, Cordell as, as hard lures and jigs and everything else like that. But another good friend of his was Nick Cream. And uh, tell us a little uh, bit about uh, Nick Cream. And, and and we've got to get you in a little bit better spot, Mike. You might be walking around or something like that, and you're phasing in and out. Um, actually, I'm sitting in a chair, so I'm not walking. Uh, I, I am on a cell phone. All right, and it may it may be going in and out for y'all. Uh, That's good but, right uh, now. Okay, okay, good. Oh, uh, Nick Cream. Nick Cream was building uh, soft plastic worms in uh, Akron, Ohio, and Dad had met Nick because. Pop was putting some, uh, he was doing some, some jig, pear, worm combinations and selling those before the cream name really became a, you know, a, a big deal. And uh, Nick decided to move the company down south into Texas, to Lufkin, Texas. And uh, he and Dad, you know, just collaborated on several jig uh soft plastic designs through the years. And uh, once again, you know, Nick Nick was a good family friend. You know, back in those days, John, the, everybody were was competitors, but they were all friendly competitors. They, they helped each other. You know, we all knew that we couldn't get 100% of the business, so you kind of helped everybody in the business get along and, and do what they you know, what they needed to do. If it was something that you didn't have and you could promote of a competitor, you did. Well, you know, a lot of these guys were tournament fishermen, Mike, and I don't think 
uh, Cotton ever fish competitively in a in a big tournament or not? And there's actually a little bit uh, of a story about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dad knew Ray Scott pretty well. He had come in and and come up to the to the factory here in Hot Springs, and he said, "I'm going to start fishing tournaments." Um, and he had he had started that BASS magazine, and he said, "I'm going to start doing uh, fishing tournaments." And Dad said, "Well, where are you going to do it?" Well, the first one was going to be on Beaver Lake in Northwest Arkansas, and, and Pop said, "Well, I'll fish it." And Ray said, "No, you can't fish it because you're a pro." And well, I'm not going to let professional people fish in this. This is all amateur stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> we all know that it evolved mainly to where it's pretty much professional people fishing BASS now, and uh, they've done a real good job bringing you know people up through the line. But they wouldn't let him fish the first one because he was a pro, so he never did fish any of them. <laughs> but then, hey, we're you know, speaking with lure designer after that. And consultant uh, Mike Cordell, we're talking about the life and times of Cotton Cordell. Mike, we got to take another break. Can, can you stay with us for one more uh, segment, please? I sure can, John. All right. Stan, Wendy, and I, we got to take a break right now. You're listening to Rod Real Radio on AM 540 or at com. Stay tuned. More to come with Mike Cordell. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ringed hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. My angler H2 Earth. Like the mighty flounder, I will keep one eye on the pole and the other watching for rogue waves. I'll save water by taking shorter showers and enthusiastically celebrate talk like a pirate day. Aye. I will chat up the locals before launching in unfamiliar waters. And I will always, always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. It's time to reserve your spot on one of the newest boats in the fleet, the 70-foot Sea Adventure 2 at H&M Landing in San Diego. It has a really comfortable galley that seats up to 24 passengers with all the comforts of home, including two big satellite flat-screen TVs and satellite phone. The huge new bait tank and slammer ensure plenty of bait for everyone, and two four-ton refrigerated fish holds, both RSW and blast-free, have plenty of room to keep your catch as fresh as the minute you caught it. Reserve your spot on the Sea Adventure 2 online at hmlanding.com or call H&M Landing at 619-222-1144. And we want to welcome you back to Rod Real Radio. Stan Vandenberg's with us tonight. So is Wendy Toshahar. We are speaking to lure designer and consultant Mike Cordell. Mike is the son of Cotton Cordell. And we've been reminiscing a little bit about uh, the life and times of uh, Cotton Cordell and what an influence he had on the industry that we're, we're here today. And, John, and my, I, had a, I had a text from my brother while, while we were on the break there, and he said, 
from the Vanderberg family, he wanted to say thank you <laughs> to <laughs> the Cotton Cordell and uh, for the influence that he's had because it's been such a big part of our our lives growing up. I mean, I was we were fishing. Uh, I was I started fishing tournaments in the mid seventies and. By '78, I was on a team on the actually that 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 Ryobi fishing team in Ryobi and in Contender, but that the we were talking about the the gay blade and the, you know the buck the bucktail jigs there the deer jigs, and and uh, just how much of an influence that had and that banana head jig I'm a jig fisherman and that banana head jig was that was the jig of choice after we figured out you know how to put rubber bands on instead of deer hair, but what a from from my side, I'm just sitting here smiling because it was. Uh, I didn't realize how much of an influence my uncle Marvin Vanderberg had lived in Hot Springs, Arkansas, there, and the rest of the family around there. That introduction came to us as kids, so, and we just grew up learning how to fish the products that helped change our lives and 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 it ended up into the professional ranks because of it. But what a it, it's kind of a fun thing that I've met. I met Cotton a couple of times at the shows when he was down here in, in Long Beach, and it was uh, it was fun to talk to him and talk a little bit about the history even there. But this is I didn't know all the little idiosyncrasies, and it made a big difference in my life. I, it, I, it's a smiling. I'm just sitting here smiling while I'm talking. It's a, it's been fun. Well, you know, Stan, uh, as as Mike said, these guys were all friends, and and Mike, uh, uh, there's a list of guys that Cotton was involved in right in their infancy stage that he helped them in their careers. And one guy I'm thinking about is uh, Bill Dance. Uh, 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 Cotton helped Bill when uh, Bill uh, originally was starting his show. That's 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 true. Uh, actually, um, there was a rep. We had a rep over there named Dennis Demo, and Dennis brought Bill over to the factory and said Bill was, he was a pretty good fisherman back then, and and uh, he had started uh, fishing little tournaments around there and was doing very well. So Dad hired Bill to promote his lures over in the Tennessee, Memphis, Mississippi area and uh, <clears throat> bought him his first TV camera and said, you need to make a TV show. <laughs> and uh, he did. Oh, my God. That's and, great. Uh, you know, it just kind of blossomed from there. So, you know what? We had no, Jerry McGinnis on just uh, last week, and and uh, uh, Cotton and, and Jerry were fairly good friends too. Yeah, Jerry used to call Dad when he needed a film in a hurry. <laughs> you know, it was one of those weeks where uh, they had gone to do something somewhere, and the fish didn't cooperate or something. So he'd call Dad, and they'd run up to Lake Washtenaw, and they'd you know make a TV show, and, and I can remember. One year in particular, or one time in particular, that uh, Jerry called and said, I need to make a show. Dad said, well, the fish are doing pretty good. If I wash talk, come on over. So they went out and made a, you know, they shot film all day long, caught several bass and everything. Dad came dragging home that night and was kind of tired and got a call. And uh, Jerry said, Cotton, I hate to tell you this, but I forgot to put film camera. Oh, really? we got to go tomorrow. <laughs> so they went back the next day and did it again with film. But it was, uh, you know, there was a lot of good times back then. Oh, my gosh. You know, uh, we're talking about uh, 
you know, what we're thinking about it, a, a fellow from Hot Springs, Arkansas, what influence can he have on, on the country? But at the height, which I believe is somewhere right in the early 1980s, how many people was, was Cordoba Manufacturing uh, actually employing, and how many lures a day were they actually getting on out? In around, around 75 through 80, we uh, we had 350 people in Hot Springs working in the factory here, and we had 300 people in El Salvador working down there, and we had 90 in Taiwan tying jigs and doing that kind of stuff. And we were building right at 25,000 hard lures per day. Wow. And uh, uh, keeping all those people busy. And the only reason, you know, Hot Springs is a fairly small town, or was back then, and uh, he had a friend in the business named Bill Humphrey that had the H&H Lure Company, and they had done a, a deal in El Salvador uh, through LSU where they were kind of, I don't know, transferring sports and teachers and stuff back and forth, and they were looking for jobs, and Bill called Dad and said, you need to come down here and help these people. All he needs a job. So he went down there and looked, and he decided he couldn't. Uh, he couldn't figure out how he could do it and got back to Hot Springs. And about a week later, the minister of industry from El Salvador showed up on our doorstep and said, I've quit my job. I want to put in a factory and build fishing lures for you. And his name was Alfredo. And Alfredo stayed with us well actually he stayed through after we sold to pradco he stayed through and and built lures for pradco for years after that and never missed a shipment date wow that's great you know and also you know besides when all this was going around i know cotton he was a uh a deacon in his church, and he probably could have been a minister just as easily as a fisherman or a lure manufacturer. But I know from right from the beginning, he had a dedication for the youngins and kids and wanted to see him, even at, you know, when I first met him in the 80s, wanted to get him away from a lot of the distractions that they're in the world and get him involved in fishing. And, you know, that was at a time when, you know, it, it it wasn't, I don't know, politically correct because we're all going, yeah, we want to take a kid fishing right now. But he was doing that way, way before, you know, I think other people were thinking about it. Yeah, he had, uh, <clears throat> you're right about that being a deacon in the church. He was he was a deacon at Southern Baptist Church for over 50 years. And, and he taught Sunday school to, you know, 12 and 14-year-old boys for a long, long time. Uh, would take them camping and fishing and, you know, just do a lot of things with them. But he had a, a saying on his the back of his business card that went something like, uh, first teach a, a kid to love God, then teach him to love your family or his family, and then teach him to fish, and no dope peddler in the world ever sell him anything. So... Right. And, uh, boy, those those words are as poignant now as they were e- even at that time. And uh, I just uh, always knows him, knew him to be one of the most gracious guys and, 
and a really giving guy. And, you know, I got to know you guys when you were started uh, going around uh, and, and doing the rods after Cotton uh, sold out to the company that we now know as, as Pradco. He just didn't retire, though. He kept on going. Yes, he did. I mean, he told me, he said, I can't quit. And when we when we sold to uh, Pradco, uh, we were building fishing rods. And I had started building fishing rods on the side just kind of as a hobby to, for some of my friends and, and a few people around. And I'd sell a few rods locally. And then, you know, of course, Dad couldn't do anything small. <laughs> so he kind of took it and started hiring more rod wrappers and buying more blanks. And before I knew it, we were in the full-fledged rod business and uh, uh, came. Uh, uh, and, and an interesting note about that is he called them lightning rods. Huh. And after we quit making the lightning rod, a few years later, uh, Berkeley came out with a rod called a lightning rod. Yep. And they spent, a, a, you know, quite a few dollars on an advertising program to get them off the ground and then got to the show and somebody walked up and said, well, that's, that name's registered by Cotton Cordell. Of course, you know, here they came and, and dad said, well, we don't use that name anymore. If you'll just, you know, send me a contract, all I got to do is sign one page. I, I, I don't want a whole big bunch of paper. I just want one page. And, and, uh, he got a, thing about a book thick from them in the mail and he sent it back and said, I'm not signing this. And so they sent him one that was about three pages long and he signed it and, and uh, gave the name to, to Berkeley. <laughs> but that's just the way things went back then again. You know, they, everybody tried to work and get along with each other. Chris, well, you was, know, at that point in time, Chris, was that a composite rod that you were building too? The lighting uh, rod? We we start the lightning rod was actually a uh, uh, started out as a glass rod, and then we went into a composite rod with it, uh, where it was part glass and part uh, graphite. Because that was we drop. I'm sorry. You know, I was going to say, did um, well that, that when you started building that. What year was that? Do you know. Oh gosh, that was we built the lightning rods in I guess around seventy six, seventy seven, maybe. Oh, was, did like uh, did Loomis was he involved with that? Who Lou? No, no, was Gary Loomis involved with that time? Uh, Gary was involved through uh, one of his earlier companies, or you know when he was working for Lama Glass, we were yeah. buying some blanks from Lama Glass back then. And that's kind of how he and Dad got to know each other, was uh, through Lama Glass. He was an engineer for Lama Glass, and we were buying blanks from him. And, that's, and Pop would go up there, and that's kind of how they got to know each other. That would and, make sense. And then, you know, of course, after Gary started his own business, and Dad helped him start a second business, uh, we used strictly pretty much Loomis blanks uh, from then on. And, and those were great rods. Uh, when you guys were traveling, you you know, the, we all got to know you because 
you and your Uncle George and Cotton and your mom, Irma, you just used to load up the Suburban with as many rods as you could fit into the thing, and you'd run off to these shows, and you'd sell them directly to the public. Yeah, we were, We actually, we, we were, uh, it was myself, and I had hired an, uh, another guy to ride with me, and then my Uncle George and Aunt Mary, they would put 800 rods in their suburban and dad and mother would put rods in their suburban and we'd all strike out and we'd do from the first of january to about the end of uh may we would do 40 about 42 shows a year and uh you know we stayed going all the time and my wife becky ran the rod plant when we were gone and would ship us rods out to each show wherever we were well dad had what I thought was the the sugar deal because about the time the snow hit up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, or up in Chicago, where all of us were, he'd strike out for Southern California and do Fred Hall's sports. <laughs> <laughs> so, it took me you know, quite a few years to talk him out of that and let me start coming out there once in a while. That's when I kind of met John and, got to be friends. Well, I, I remember that when they first started selling the rods, they were cotton cordell rods, and then it came to be that he didn't even have the rights to his own name. He, he had sold the rights to his own name for so many other things. So then uh, it, it got to be the Mike Cordell rod and the Ripplin water rod that was designed and approved by cotton cordell. And, and I still yeah. have two or three of those rods today that I fish with. They're still, they were good rods and they still are good rods. I, I still fish with them. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I thought at the time they were the best rod made. Well, and you know what? Like I, a lot of that, back, that technology when the, the first part of it, one, the graphite rod and the, and the glass rods, when you got the composite rod together, I think Al Jackson was a part of those way back when. Um, yeah. But that, Technology back then, uh, and I think it was because they didn't overcomplicate the composite materials. You, I think some of those rods were some of the best rods ever made. Well, they were made by Loomis. The blanks were made by Loomis in the beginning. I and know. How could you get any better? Hey, Mike, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the evening. Hey, Mike, <laughs> I look forward to the next time we get together. I don't get out that part of the world as often as I do, but thank you so much for taking some of your Sunday to talk to us about your dad. I know it could have been a little bit difficult, but, man, we just so many great stories, and we're, we're happy kidding. that you could share some of them with us tonight. Uh, this what, a, time, what an influence on my life. That's all i got to say. And now I'm doing Fishing with a Mission with my church, too. Good. That's great. That's great. All right. All right. Thank well, John, call me anytime you I'll be, uh, I'll be talking to you later on, Mike, and, and thank you right. again for being with us. You're welcome. Bye. Boy, Stan Good and Wendy, stuff, great memories. And if you're uh, any type of a, a, a fan of the history of uh, fishing, man, this is uh, this is part of our history right there. You're not kidding. That was great stuff. All right. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, Wendy, thanks a lot. Stan, also thank you. And uh, that's it for the show tonight, ladies and gentlemen. We want to thank you for listening to us. So on behalf of Stan, Wendy... 
Jorge in our uh, studios at AM540. Ben Harvey, our local producer here in, in San Diego. And always a memory of Big Tuna Bill and Eddie McCune that gave us this heritage that we call Rod Real Radio. Thanks for listening tonight. I hope you had a good time. I know we did. We look forward to being with you again next Sunday night at 5.05 p.m. on AM540 or at rodreelradio.com. So until then, we'll see you on the water. Go out. Be safe. We're out for now. Good night, everybody. I brought you a place you gone fishing.